podcasting from Dallas, Texas. I am Shireen, and this is the Yumlish Podcast. Yumlish empowers people with chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease to take charge of their health through diet. And this podcast is created to amplify the voices of patients, health professionals, employers, and community members who are working to reduce the risk of these chronic diseases and put your health first. Registered nurse and diabetes educator Megan Munoz chats about associated risk factors for diabetes that are not behavioral, her fight to reduce the stigma associated with type 2 diabetes, and why it is so important to reduce that stigma in order to obtain great quality care. Megan Munoz is the creator and host of Type 2 and You with Meg, the first podcast by a certified diabetes care and education specialist dedicated to people living with type 2 diabetes. Her passion to reduce diabetes stigmas is evident in her podcasting, content contributions, and live presentations. Hi, Megan. Hi, Shireen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. A pleasure having you on. Um, So Megan, I want to dive right in. My first question is, what led you to work within diabetes care? Uh, this was something I, I grabbed onto even in nursing school. So I was able to do an internship up at Mayo Clinic, a very prestigious hospital, <laughs> and saw that interaction between a diabetes nurse educator, is what they used to call them, mm-hmm. and a person with diabetes. And it was a it was a real partnership and a real back and forth. And that was the piece that I fell in love with is is having that partnership with a person that's coming to seek care. Lovely. And so I want to talk a little bit about and something that you're passionate about is the risk factors leading to diabetes. Um, there's an understanding out there that is mostly got to do with a person's behavioral choices, you know, things, uh, foods that they may eat, uh, the, the lifestyle that they may have. Um, what are some other risk factors that are not behavior related that may cause diabetes? That's a great question because you're right. There's so much focus on what people do on their day-to-day, um, but we often forget that even those choices are limited by how much money people have, how much um, what they have access to as far as health care. And so when we zoom out and look at the big picture for diabetes risks, it's very complicated. Um, you know, lower education. So if you have a degree less than a high, if you never graduated high school, excuse me, um, your risk for diabetes is double a person that graduated and went to college. So something as simple as education, um, there's either other health conditions like thyroid disease, binge eating disorder. um, And then there's also this really complex piece, uh, we call them ACEs, which is adverse childhood events. Um, But that ties into a lot of the systemic racism that we're seeing on TV is this chronic stress, um, ongoing trauma. Those things have a tremendous impact on our body and and how our body functions. And so type 2 diabetes risk is significantly higher in in people of color because of a lot of those structural things that happen routinely across generations and across our society. 
And so why is it so important to talk about some of those things that are not behavior related, that are in our environment, that are in our um, sort of in our in our society and in the you know where we're they talk about how your risk of diabetes increases based on your zip code, um, which is yeah. which is just mind boggling. So, and why is it so important to talk about some of those other risk factors? I think it's twofold. One, of course, is because we need to set up social structures and those systems. We need to create better access to healthcare. We need to create. Um, ways that people can get education and safety and own houses. So all of the things that we've heard um, lately from, you know, great people who are trying to change some of those pieces. The other side of it on the personal side for people with diabetes is to know it's it's not your fault. Diabetes is really complicated. And mm-hmm. when we focus just on you did something wrong, um, it can really hinder people. I, I mean, I meet so many people that struggle to make changes to their diabetes health because they just don't want to be labeled with the diagnosis. There's so much stigma around that. They don't want to be, um, you know, looked at by family members or other coworkers um, or even their medical provider as screwing up or doing something wrong. And that's why they have that diagnosis. So it can be very paralyzing. Um, There could be a lot Mm -hmm. of self-blame and a lot of guilt and we need to break that down. Mm -hmm. And how do you address that? You know, I think one of the things I think is really important, at least personally with me, is talking to people about their personal risks for type 2 diabetes. So they usually come in and they say, oh, well, you know, I, I've, I've gained weight over the years and, um, and that's why I have diabetes. But once we start talking, they start recognizing, well, I was in the service and I was exposed to Agent Orange and I know that's a risk for diabetes. And I also have mm-hmm. thyroid disease and I know that's a risk for diabetes. So then we start looking at all these other pieces, they're able to see, okay, you know, I understand that maybe I made some lifestyle choices that were not as helpful, but it's not the only piece and there's other things. And and we that's one way we can move past. Um, I think the other thing is we just having communication, um, even like for myself with other medical professionals about reducing those stigmas. Um, for example, we know for people that come in to get diabetes training, we only see about 10% of the people in diabetes self-management training that get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, excuse me, I should say, so if somebody gets newly diagnosed, only 10% of those people are going to be coming to see someone like myself in a clinic or a hospital setting. That's really bad. That's horrible stats. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is because somebody comes to their medical provider and their provider says, well, eat better, move more, and I'll see you in three months. And diabetes is a chronic condition that requires lots of training and lots of support to really manage it well. And it's already got that stigma or the blame of you didn't do something, obviously, because you have diabetes. So fix it and then you'll you'll do well. There's not the, you know, diabetes, it's complicated. There's lots that you need to know. Um, you might be just doing some things great. You might be doing some things um, not so well. Go here, get some training, get some support. You can live a long, really healthy life with diabetes. So even from the get-go, it, even across the medical world, some of the things that I do is just presenting on how we can be more person-centered, focus on the person, um, making sure that we're trying to reduce the stigmas even within the medical world. Mm-hmm. And when you are talking to someone with diabetes, 
Uh, what are some of those things that you talk about and why is that so important for them uh, to talk through in order to get quality medical care? Well, I think, like I just mentioned, the, you know, it, it depends on it, it depends on how they can get access to care. So it's really important that we talk about um, the stigmas. I think it's also important for people not to, f- to not to fixate on one thing to gauge their health. Um, and so, for example, people fixate on weight as a gauge of health and they, mm-hmm. you know, they don't focus on other behaviors or other pieces of care to gauge health. So if they've lost weight and they regain the weight, people throw their hands up and say, I can't manage diabetes. It's too hard. And so if we refocused energy to how else can we gauge health by how much we're moving, um, what we're eating, uh, what our blood sugars are, how often we're checking blood sugars on actual tangible actions, then people can feel more secure in, okay, maybe my weight isn't exactly where I want it to be or whatever, but I'm doing all these things well and my blood sugars are well, my blood pressure is well. Um, and so I think we just have to refocus some of the stigmas that are out there so that people can focus on the right things and the right gauges of success because people can be very, very successful um, in managing diabetes, like I said before. We know, we know now um, because of multiple studies that if people have really great blood pressure, cholesterol, and, and blood sugars, they live very long, healthy lives, very few complications. So it's not a death sentence like it used to be in the past. Mm-hmm. What are some takeaways for people to right here listening on this podcast today? What are some, t- some takeaways for them to help them reduce those stigmas? I think the first thing is to start with self-talk. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, where that I, I feel guilty because I did this or I feel guilty because I did that. Start looking at, you know, I made this decision today and tomorrow I'm going to make a different decision. Or just even that self-talk, that self-blame, restructuring that and giving yourself credit for the things you're doing well. If you're going to give yourself credit for the things you don't do well, you better darn well give yourself credit for the things you do well, because Mm -hmm. you deserve that too. I think the other thing is communication, because in the medical world, we really quickly write off people um, when they don't do what we say, (laughs) which sounds very dominating i know but that's how the medical world is set up unfortunately it's it's starting to shift but you know people get labeled as non-compliant because they're not taking medicine or they're not showing up to appointments and we know that that some of those reasons that people aren't doing those things is because they have many barriers that keep them from being able to do those things so um i think it's really important that communication is there so that you can talk to your provider and say, listen, I can't take this medicine because of XYZ. I can't afford it or I can't tolerate the side effects or I'm worried about side effects, so I don't want to take it. Communication is really important and finding that um, that provider that's going to focus on you. They're going to focus on you, what you need. Um, they're going to connect you to, to social services and support. And there's even sometimes support that you don't know about unless you ask questions. I know in our clinic, uh, one of the physicians set up a, a fund where people um, can get so much of their transportation um, medications covered, like $500 a year. And nobody knows about that unless 
they ask or we introduce that to them. We recognize that there's a need because they talk to us about it. So, so communicate and communicate and communicate. And, and that goes for yourself, that self-talk, and for your medical team. Find somebody that can support you. Mm-hmm. How do you address uh, diabetes specifically within minority communities? What do you, what kind of tools would you empower them in addition to the tools that you sort of mentioned? Uh, Because as we look at the numbers, it's no secret, diabetes disproportionately impacts minorities, people of color. Um, Through this, what are some other things that you would say perhaps specifically for, for these groups that are largely at risk? That's such a loaded question because you know what? This is something that's I've really wanted to expand more in our clinic is to reach those populations. So we we have a large population of people from Mexico here, a large population of people from Africa here. Um, we live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and and we see people, but not enough people. Not you know, there's still a number of people out there that aren't getting our services, and so I I think it really starts on multiple levels. On the individual level, I think it's really important, and this is something I do, is asking questions about that culture. So I might ask somebody, um, you know, if they were from, let's say, Africa, I would say, what what do people do in Africa? Like, what does your family do or friends that, you know, that have diabetes, what do they do to treat diabetes there? Because that's a huge indicator of where we're going to start and the gap perhaps between how they treat it there where maybe they don't have as many resources or you know as access to certain things as here um so if most of the time it's drinking water and taking supplements and here we have medications that's a big gap that we have to overcome um and and helping people understand maybe the differences between here and there and and meeting in the middle where where that person needs to get the care they need but they also get the support um of what they were using or what what they're used to from their culture so i think it starts there i also think we have to set up the social pieces so i know um i have people that I've presented with before from the, from the, um, our health department here in this area that have set up systems to help the referrals come in, um, to support the, the people that need those services. So there's a, a better referral system that's out there. Um, but I also think that we need to create even an environment within our clinic mm-hmm. that is more conducive to people of different ethnicities and colors um, and even like gender orientation, things like that. Um, It's pretty, we're pretty like farm kid, you know, white, everything kind of approach and not approach, I wouldn't say, but just the environment. It's, it doesn't, we don't have a bunch of different flags on the wall with people, people's countries and different languages. You know, I've been in hospitals that have those things and it's, it's welcoming. It's welcoming to see all those different kinds of languages. So I think even the physical environment can be adjusted to that. And that's something that I hope we will continue to work on in our, in our area. Mm -hmm. Now I want to talk a little bit about your podcast um, type two and you with Meg, what inspired you to start this and what has your experience been with it? Um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> You're telling but, me. You know, it's like, oh, people think, oh, it's just, you know, 15, 20 minutes. It's not a bit. Yeah, I know it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, but the whole, the whole goal was to kind of 
fill the gap between the person with diabetes and the medical world. There's so much I know being a nurse and being a diabetes educator and, and same with my colleagues. There's so much that we know that sometimes we just wish we could, could get, get that information to people. And like I said before, so few people that really have diabetes are coming to clinic settings to get that training and care. So I wanted to kind of bridge that gap where people could get information and support in a really easy to understand way. Um, and, and that was kind of my thought and, and way of doing it was doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then what has your experience been with, with the podcast and the way you, you run it? You know, it's, it's good because it's, uh, first of all, it's, um, I, I set it up to try to expose people with diabetes to information. And I have this section called diabetes dilemmas. So people can ask a question and then I answer it. Well, sometimes they ask a question that I need to, I haven't been asked before, or it's been a long time since I've been asked. So I got to go back into the research and look at it. So I'm actually learning Again, some of the things I already knew, or I interview people, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. Or so I think I'm learning probably just as much. So it's been a good experience in that way. Um, and then of course I love getting feedback when somebody sends a message or or something like that and says, Hey, I really loved this episode, really spoke to me, or um, I'm really excited for you know the next season, all of those different things. So that's a really cool piece too. So overall, it's a ton of work, but I've really enjoyed the the different layers of it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feel like a rock star when you learn all the technology. <laughs> I have to say, like, oh, yeah, I figured out how to do all these things. <laughs> it's. I think. I think that the biggest thing is you, you start off thinking, well, it it can't be too much work, and then you go into it and you're like. This is a lot more work than I thought it would be. Yes. <laughs> and people 100%. make it look so simple. Yeah, I know. People make it look so simple, right? Exactly. Yes. So you can, yeah. So it's 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 a challenge to put this together, people. <laughs> exactly. Shout out to everybody listening that listens to podcasts. It's a lot more than the 15, 20 minutes that you hear. It's a lot behind the scenes. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And even just the coordinating of, like you said, interviews and mm-hmm. editing and, oh, it's a lot promoting. <laughs> yeah. And so with that, to, uh, we are toward the end of the episode, Megan, I wanted to, usually what we do at the end of the episode is um, we like to learn about how people can connect with you, learn more about your work. Um, so how can people do that? Yes. So I know normally you try to give something away and I'm kind of a lame duck here because I have been working on something, but it's not quite ready yet. And I didn't want to rush it um, and and not have it be a quality thing. So if if somebody wanted to contact me, you can always go um, to type two and you.org. You can also uh, check out Type 2 and You with Meg on your podcast app. And then there's a bunch of different ways to contact me in the descriptions of every podcast. And so those are the best ways. I guess the third way would be email, which is type 2, the number 2, and you contact at gmail.com. And so those are the best probably ways to get a hold of me. And and that's how people submit, like I said, that diabetes dilemma section. So if you run across something, you're thinking, gosh, I don't know 
um, if this is right, or I'm curious about this. It doesn't matter what the question is. You can send it to me and I will answer it on, on upcoming episodes. And I also do a series called Diabetes BS or Legit, where people will send me something they saw in the media. Um, and we, and I'll dive into the research and, and try to figure out, okay, is this really legitimate or is this something that maybe you shouldn't take as real great information to use for your diabetes care? So, so any of that kind of stuff, um, or if you just want to reach out in general, I'm, I'm open to it for sure. Lovely. And so we'll, we'll, uh, note everything in our show notes so folks can reach out to you and connect with you and ask uh, ask our questions so with that megan thank you so much for your time truly truly appreciate you having you on thanks shireen i enjoyed being here so find yumlish on all the social media accounts linked in our podcast show notes our yumlish socials help you learn more about our mission at yumlish keep you updated on helpful tips for managing your diabetes and giving you access to exciting opportunities with yumlish with that to our listeners in texas Yumlish will be running a diabetes management course here in the Dallas region. If you are interested, email us at info at yumlish.com and we'll, we'll connect you over to that. Lastly, if you enjoy Yumlish podcast and know a healthcare expert working in the nutrition space, uh, reach out to us on Instagram to nominate them. Send us a DM telling us who you want to nominate, what they do, and why you believe their work is making a difference in the lives of individuals to conquer chronic illness. Thank you again. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to the Yumlish podcast with Shireen. If you like our show and want to learn more, you can find information at yumlish.com. You can also leave us a review here. We will see you at the next one. And remember, your health always comes first.